0: The raft was pinned hard. The upstream tube was almost completely buried. Half the boat was full of water, and this was a 15 or 16 foot fully loaded raft. So lots of gear, lots of weight. And for those first few minutes as we were pulling, I was like, I don't think this thing's going to come off.
1: I'm Rebecca Huntington, and you're listening to The Fine Line: Real Stories of Adventure, Risk, and Rescue in the Backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero a project of Teton County Search and Rescue. In this episode, we talk with two Jackson Hole boaters about big water. They recall an epic spring when high water flows lured them to the Middle Fork of the Salmon River in Idaho. With the traditional boat launch closed, they put in on Marsh Creek, a tributary running fast and cold. Its banks were choked with woody debris, just the kind of obstacle that can get a boater in trouble.
2: My name is Aaron Prezan and I've been involved with river running as an outfitter and as an enthusiast and as a racer for many years and, and have paddled, done a lot of self-support kayaking and multi-day trips throughout the West and all over the world really. Brent
0: Tice I really started getting into kayaking in 2006, the year before I moved here to Jackson. I started working at Rendezvous River Sports and teaching kayaking for eight or nine years. Also ran the local Jackson Hole Kayak Club, the kids kayaking program. So a lot of teaching experience on the water. Uh, I was also a certified Swift Water Rescue instructor. We were just doing a private trip for fun. It was pretty spontaneous. So yeah, this was spring of 2010. Um, and that winter was a big winter for Idaho and Wyoming, especially a wet spring. We had a ton of snow in April and May.
2: At those water levels, it's pretty easy to get a cancellation because a lot of people who are doing say raft trips, unless they're real experienced, will cancel at those levels because it's, you know, the hazard level is so much higher, the water's moving so fast, the rapids are bigger.
0: We start looking around and especially when you're in the kayaking scene with a bunch of everyone's like, oh yeah we should go run this, Let's maybe this will come in. And the middle fork of the salmon and the cellway is another one which are on the, a permitted system so it's not always that you get a permit. But during high water runs, a lot of folks will cancel their permits. So during those high water weeks, you kind of start calling these river offices every day or every other day. And sure enough, they're like, all right, we got one tomorrow. So it's kind of short notice.
2: And we ended up getting cancellation on the middle fork and we drove to the put-in.
0: The uh, main dirt road down to uh, Boundary Creek, which is the main put-in for the middle fork of the salmon, the main rafter put-in, was closed because of snow.
2: Then you have to put in, unless you get flown in, you have to put in on Marsh Creek, which is a kind of a little tiny creek. Um, and you drive over it. You probably don't even know when you're driving over it, but you drive over it if you're driving uh, west of Stanley. And we were just self-supporting in our kayaks and we got on Marsh Creek and it's a pretty tight little creek with lots of wood in it and little islands and meanders, and kind of different from what people would expect on the Middle Fork, which is more of a you know, big water run at those levels and we came around one of the first corners and there's a raft pinned against the rock and the frames bent. it just looked terrible, the raft, the tubes have been popped. We just kept cruising, but that was kind of a,
0: we're like, oh, I hope, uh, I hope we don't come across anything else, you know, and then sure enough, we come around this one bend and boom, there was uh, this one raft pinned up against the log jam on this island right in the middle of the creek. And this is what led to me, you know, a big learning experience for me. It was sort of my mistake at the start was as I was in the, the front of our group of four and we came around the corner and I took the inside channel, I'd seen that there was two people on the island where the raft was and then some folks on the main river right shore. And I pulled in right to shore and they, hey, hey, can you, uh, can you take a rope? You're in a kayak. Can you take a rope over to our friends in the raft? And not even thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And just like took their rope and started paddling it across the river. Well, right at that point, the rest of my group comes around the corner and sees me, you know, paddling a rope across the river. Oh man, like what's
2: going on? It's probably in the evening by then. And we come around a corner and there's a rope strung across the river, which is a hazard in itself. And we see a raft pinned on a log jam at the top of the island, which is pretty common in this meandery type of streams that logs will pin at the top of islands. They definitely needed help.
0: And I didn't even make it across the river that first attempt because I was in such a rush. And, but yeah, that was the one thing that I, when we looked back on was like, we all should have gotten out, you know, assess the situation first. And yeah, you know, after you learn more about Swiftwater Rescue, it was like, before you even consider taking a rope across the river, you want to make sure that there's no one else coming downstream above you, right? It just adds a big hazard for people coming in from
2: upstream. When you put a rope across the river for a rescue type of situation, you have to have an upstream spotter to be able to warn people if they're coming downstream. If there's a line across the river, that can be really dangerous for downstream traffic. So right away, we got one of the people that was on the bank and safe. We had her go up to where she could see people and warn them. And the first thing we noticed is the people in the raft, one of them had on a wetsuit, lady lady on a wetsuit and life jacket, and I would say it was... You know, you'd probably want your arms covered, too, in that, that type of weather. The other gentleman just had on, like, shorts and a, and a T-shirt. So, I mean, he was definitely not ready if he had to go in the water at all. So, you know, that was kind of the first thing we noticed is, wow, these people aren't really attired that well for, for these conditions.
0: Their party had was two rafts, and as they were floating, it was the second raft that got pinned. first raft... Uh, Either it took them too long to notice or they just couldn't pull over in time. And so they ended up floating like four or five miles downstream before they could get out to shore. Right when we had showed up was about the same time that their party had hiked back upstream. That raft had been pinned for a couple hours. You know, everyone was fine. There was no medical emergency. Really, our only rush was that it was late in the evening and we wanted to try to get this thing done before dark. But the raft was pinned hard. I mean the upstream tube was almost completely buried. Half the boat was full of water and this was a you know 15 or 16 foot fully loaded raft. So lots of
2: gear, lots of weight. So we got out our rigs, which would include you know anchors and pulleys, specifically pulleys with aluminum wheels because the nylon ones don't work that well. For Z pulley, they tend to, the rope tends to cut into them. Then we asked, you know, what type of gear they had, and they had one pulley and one climbing rope in their rescue kit. And they had some beaners and they had a couple things for making anchors, but not really the type of stuff you would need to unpin a raft. And it turns
0: out that the climbing rope they had was actually a dynamic climbing rope. Uh, the one that is meant to stretch when a climber falls on it. So not as ideal for using it to pull a bunch of weight is because as you pull the rope, uh, a lot of your effort is just going into stretching this long rope versus having like a static repelling type rope that doesn't stretch as much would have been more ideal. So at first we were just thinking we were going to help these guys out and they were, you know, um, but pretty quick realized they didn't really have any idea of how to get the boat off. So as like this rescue started to progress, our group before realized that we had a little more experience of them and we ended up just sort of taking over the rescue, which actually worked out really well. There wasn't any conflict as far as that. It's just our expectations changed throughout the rescue. We realized, oh, we're pretty much doing this for them. As kayakers, especially on overnight trips, a lot of us bring what's called a pin kit and it's basically just a few pieces of gear to help in this particular situation. basically involves some pulleys and a couple extra carabiners and you can use that in a rope to set up what's called a a Z-drag. And so you anchor the rope to a tree, set your pulleys up in such a way that when you pull on the rope, instead of just getting a one-to-one ratio, um, you're actually uh, getting three times as much pull power. So if one person can pull 100 pounds, all of a sudden you set up this Z drag, and now you can pull 300 pounds. But these systems take a little while to set up, as you got to find the right tree that's big enough to hold a bunch of weight. You know, the shore bank was sort of a cut bank with a lot of rocks and tree roots. Uh, so the first tree we set up on, we realized we didn't have enough space to like pull the rope. So we restarted and found
2: another tree, and we managed to to set up an anchor, and it was pretty challenging. The raft was. Was pretty pinned, and we had what would I would consider a little bit lighter gear, more specifically for kayaks, not for rafts. And had to put a couple ropes together and get kind of creative with our anchors. It was probably an hour and a half, maybe even two hours all told by the time we got there, sized up the situation, you know, got proper safety set, set up the anchors, and got the successfully got the raft off. You know, it was getting to be almost dark. And then I
0: think we got four or five or six of us on the end of the rope and just started pulling and pulling and pulling. And because this was this dynamic rope, we probably pulled maybe you know at least 10 feet of rope through the system just to stretch that rope to its max stretch. And then we kept pulling. And then you could slowly start to see the, the raft take tension from the rope. You know, we were on this loose rocks and there was a lot of like, hold on, let me reposition my feet. You know, we'd pull some rope through, try to lock it off, reposition. And we were right at the water level and trying to, and for those first few minutes as we were pulling, I was like, I don't think this thing's going to come off. And it was just slowly sinking more and more the whole time. Uh, But we just kept at it and just kept going and kept pulling. Uh, And then finally you could just see this little, this little, boat just inched forward. I'm like, oh, a sign of hope. And so we just kept at it, kept at it. And sure enough, it came around the island, started to bend downstream. And then you could just see we're we're going to get past that, that breaking point where the water was no longer holding it. And then sure enough, it came across and swung to our side of the river. And there we had
2: it. It just kind of illustrates just some simple things, you know, being prepared to to go in the water and for the conditions, um, is of the utmost importance, you know, to avoid a search and rescue, you know, situation and avoid hypothermia, which can happen so fast on, on the rivers in our area. And then also really thinking about what, what the proper rescue equipment that you'd want to have on a week long trip through a wilderness. And, you know, they certainly didn't have that and not really the knowledge knowledge to use it and they sell z-drag cards or there's great books about river rescue that can kind of walk you through some of these scenarios the best thing of course would be to take take a rescue course
0: because i realized the couple mistakes that i made like right off the bat during the rescue and we talked about it the, the four of us that were on the trip together you know we debriefed after we sent them on their way and we paddled down and we got to camp and, like, the first thing we did when we got to camp was talk about the rescue. Just over in our heads, like, hey, what what did we do wrong? What did we do right? How did it work out? You know, um,
2: and that was a big learning experience for sure. It kind of affected our itinerary a little bit and that we ended up having to paddle in past dark a little bit. We were just thinking it was kind of late in the day. It was unlikely anyone else was going to come along. If we hadn't come along, you know, what would they have done? They wouldn't have been in such a great situation that, you know, that island certainly wasn't going to be a, a nice place to to spend the night, that's for sure. So, you know, most people that are on the river are really happy to help, you know, if other people have bad situations, but it's definitely, you know, just having the proper equipment and a little bit of training and, and being dressed properly, you can avoid those altogether. But not even having that, they were kind of stuck. And, and there were other options, they probably could have, you know, they could have deflated the whole raft and tried to figure it out that way but that wouldn't have been you know then they would have been maybe worse pinned on a log jam so the you know they didn't have enough people to do something like a direct pull or something like that so it just shows that you know if you're going to embark on these type of trips you should have you know the right equipment the right knowledge to use them and take the time to be comfortable you know maybe in a more front country situation before you're going onto a longer back country trip
0: It's a story that I use a lot in my swift water instruction courses. It's just a a quick example of of some basic points of how to be better prepared. You know, know the river you're gonna be on, know your skill for that river, and have the proper gear and proper communication between your, your group. You know, I think Marsh Creek is probably rated no more than class two or maybe class three whitewater, as far as any specific rapids. But at that high flow, you know, at least for rafters especially is, you know, the creek probably could have class four consequences. Just as if someone were to, you know, fall in out of the raft or take a swim out of a kayak with the lack of eddies and the constant tight turns and all the, you know, bushes and wood on the shore, it could be a long swim, you know, someone could spend a long time in the water. Plus the water was extremely cold. That time of year, we were still paddling by snow, you know, little patches dripping into the creek. So so in that sense, Marsh Creek, you know, just had that extra hazard to it, I guess, just because of the the high water.
1: This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.